Well, good morning, friends. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here for Discovery, and it is good to be with you. I got to spend uh, yesterday up on the mountain with uh, with our men who are retreating and um, drove back early this morning to be a part of the gathering, and it's good to be here. It's good to be with them. They're having a great time, but also, again, great to be uh, with you always in every gathering, but especially today as we start a new conversation called Good Neighbors. So if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever uh, you happen to read the Bible on, meet me in Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to begin in verse 2 with this really interesting question that John, John the Baptist, asks of Jesus. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, him being Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather. And we are grateful for all of that all of what that means, the ability to worship together, to sing together, to be together, to take communion together, uh, to drink coffee and catch up, but also God in this moment to open your your word and to hear from you. And so we do come into this space now ready to receive. We ask that you would take all the things that we hold, the good and the bad, the hard and the light, whatever it might be, God, would you hold it for us so that we can be fully present, able to receive what it is you want to say to us today. And then God, as we always say, would you give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. Amen. So, John has this question. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus' response is very interesting. It actually ties back to one of his first sermons in Luke's telling of the Jesus story. One of the very first things that Jesus says is actually a reading straight from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, this is Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then in what I think is just one of the most baller moves of all time, he sits down and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> How cool is that? So some things there that obviously sound very familiar to what we just read in Matthew chapter 11. You know how that scene ends though in Luke 4, right? The spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. They're amazed. This is awesome. And that scene ends Luke 4.29, they try to throw Jesus off a cliff. The kingdom of God 
is divisive. And I know that's a that's a buzzy word in our cultural moment. I do not mean that the kingdom of God is divisive in the way that we tend to be divisive in, in our current age. I mean it in the sense that when you press into what is most true, when you press into the reality of God's heart, not everyone will understand. Not everyone will get it. Not everyone will be excited. And this is a hard truth because if you are like me, rejection, not fun. Right? Rejection is painful. It hurts. It's a type of death. And so we work hard to avoid it at all costs. But the reality is the kingdom of God is never neutral territory. As Jesus says later on in Matthew chapter 11, we're now down in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. This is a very confusing statement, a very uh, misinterpreted statement. I think all Jesus is saying here is you you cannot be on the fence about the kingdom of God. You're for it or you are against it. And oftentimes those who are against it will attack it. And so what this means is that for those of us who want to follow Jesus, for those of us who who want to take Jesus seriously, particularly his command, what he says is the greatest command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22 Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. If you take this seriously, right? if you endeavor to be a good neighbor, it will mean facing some significant fears. Loving God with everything we got and loving people, it's going to bring some stuff up and there's going to be some fears attached to that. Are you with me? Our fall conversation, again, is, is called Good Neighbors, and this is not just a series of you know, motivational talks. Hey, everybody, go, go knock on your neighbor's door and make a friend. This is our theme for the upcoming year. As we begin a new academic year here in Davis, this is our theme. It's a theme that is designed to help us get after our mission of discovering and rediscovering the good news of Jesus together. And so over the course of this year, we're going to hit our practices Right? We're going to celebrate Advent. We're going to talk about our values. We're going to do a big conversation in the book of Genesis. But throughout all of that, the big, big idea for this year is exploring the question, what does it mean for us individually and collectively as a church? What does it mean for us to be good neighbors in Davis, in Woodland, in Solano County? Our hope, our contention, is that if we take that top command of Jesus seriously, if we take that command seriously, we are going to see some amazing things. We're going to see some amazing things. Individual growth, uh, collectively getting after the mission together, fresh stories of people discovering good news. The blind will see, the lame will walk, people will be healed. Resurrection will happen, the good news will be proclaimed to the poor. But also, but also, let's be real, there'll be some challenges. There'll be some resistance, and there'll be some fears that we need to face. But this is our task for the year. Love God and love people. Now, to set the stage, a quick review. If you were with us last week, I, I sort of introduced this concept to us. The three 
or three just very common foundational theological categories, right, that are often talked about. Christology, ecclesiology, missiology, these are the fancy ways of saying Jesus, church, and mission. And we're saying the proper order is to begin with Jesus, right, the author and perfecter of our faith, who then gives us a mission, love God and love our neighbors, and who then organizes us into churches to accomplish that mission. So Christology informs missiology, informs ecclesiology. What we think about Jesus informs our mission, which informs how we do church. It's very easy to get that flipped around. And in particular for ecclesiology to inform Christology, and then we tack some missiology onto it, right? So we have a form that we prefer around how church should look. We, we sort of uh, put some Jesus on that to, to justify how we want to organize our church. And then again, if we're really spiritual, we'll invite some people to it. Our forms and our preferences become the starting point instead of Jesus. But our contention is that Jesus must be the foundation and the center of everything. So we return to the stories of Jesus again and again because he's endlessly compelling and infinitely interesting, but also we want to ensure that Jesus remains the foundation of all that we do. Hold tight to Jesus, hold loosely to the forms, right? So we spent 17 weeks in the book of Mark refocusing on that foundation. Now we turn our attention to the mission, this series of conversations about what it looks like to love God with all we got, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, looking at what it means for us to be good neighbors. <clears throat> so to begin, our starting point is an exploration of the tension between fear and love. And we see all of this in Matthew chapter 11. Fear is a natural human response to a threat, whether that threat is real or perceived. And we see again, both the real and the perceived in this scene in Matthew 11. Beginning with John, let's start with the real, right? John is Jesus's cousin. John is the one who prepared the way for Jesus. John is the one who baptized Jesus, this amazing scene uh, where God speaks over Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That was John right there dipping Jesus into the river. It was John who says about Jesus, and this is John chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. If anybody knew that John was the real, or that Jesus was the real deal, Right? If anybody knew Jesus was the real deal, it was John. And yet here he is in Matthew 11 questioning, are you, the, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? A very vulnerable question if you think about it, right? Because John has given his life to preparing the way for Jesus. And now he's wondering if, if like, was all of that, like, was it, should have, should have been for somebody else? Now, it's important to note, again, John is in prison. And in prison, he's at the whims and mercy of a truly unstable human being named Herod. He has no idea. Am I getting out tomorrow? Am I dying tomorrow? Am I going to sit here for years? Am I going to be here for a couple of days? He is scared. A very natural human response to a real threat. And so even John who, had, who knew so much, who had experienced so much, who, who was so deeply connected to the Jesus story. Even John at the midway point is unsure. 
has questions, is doubting. Are you the one or is there someone else who is to come? Rosabeth Cantor says everything can look like a failure in the middle. Everything can look like a failure in the middle, even the story of Jesus, even the kingdom of God. And so John has a very human freak out. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Have you been there? Have you ever asked God, uh, is this really the plan? Are, are we doing this now? John's got questions. Are you the one? Jesus' response is fascinating. Go back and report what you hear and see. What you hear and see. If you look at, at this is verse 4, if you look at verse 2 and 3, John had heard things, right? Later on in Matthew, Jesus will say, those who have ears, uh, in Matthew 11, I think it's uh, in verse 15, he'll say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, right? There's this connection between the evidence, right? What you've heard and seen and the, the level of trust we have in what Jesus is doing. Tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. First of all, whenever there is pushback, and questioning, you know, what what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Always a good idea to return to the mission and to what we at Discovery like to call wins, right? The reminders, the evidence that the mission is being accomplished. Right, the blind see, the lame walk, all these things, wonderful things. <clears throat> Again, Jesus repeating his Luke 4 sermon. If you do a side-by-side -side comparison, though, there is one major exception. And there's one major exception. No prisoners are getting released in Matthew 11, which is a bummer for John. Now, there is a lot of good news in Jesus' response. Resurrection, people being healed, transformation coming, all these great things. It's just not immediate good news for John which is a huge test of his character, right? His trust in Jesus and the kingdom and the bigger story. Will I trust the awesome power of Jesus, the, the good news of the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, even if I don't see the immediate benefit? Will I choose fear or love? This is a hard question. But an important question for John and an important question for us as we begin this conversation on being good neighbors. When there, uh, there are real threats, there are real threats, and then there are perceived threats. Jesus speaks throughout the rest of the scene here in Matthew 11 to the ways in which he is a perceived threat to the religious establishment. This is kind of summarized nicely in verses 18 and 19. He said, John, so John has actually experienced this too, right? John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. If you know anything about John, he, he was kind of a weird guy, right? Let his hair grow out, wore weird clothes, was living in the wilderness, and he was eating uh, basically just locusts and honey, had, had uh, renounced alcohol and some of these things. People looked at that and said he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, right? Jesus, very famous for going to parties and, and, and being with people in, in different scenes. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Go out to the wilderness and eat bugs? 
call people to repent? That guy's got a demon. Hang out with notorious sinners and preach about how big and awesome and inclusive the kingdom of God really is? Glutton. Follow Jesus into the reality of loving God and loving others, into this kingdom of right relationships, and you will get called some names. And you will be accused of some things that are not entirely accurate. There will be misunderstanding and rejection, and that is scary. But friends, there is also beauty and joy and grace and peace and amazing stories. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the lepers will be cleansed, the prisoners set free. Resurrection. There will be misunderstanding and rejection, but also beauty and joy. In 1 John chapter 4, we read, Perfect love drives out fear. We tend to think of hate as the opposite of love, but Scripture teaches the opposite of love is fear. And so when we are afraid, when, when, we, when we feel fear rising up within us, the invitation is not to, to find courage, right? To find the fear switch, turn it off, and, and muster up some courage. The invitation is actually to receive and to give love. Fear is a natural human response to a threat, whether real or perceived. It is also, it is also an invitation to something bigger. It's an invitation to transformation. It's an invitation to trust Jesus. It's an invitation to walk through our fears with God, to submit ourselves to God's work in our lives that will change us. It will lead us to a more loving place, heart, soul, mind, and strength, our neighbor as ourselves. Let me tell a couple stories. I want to scope out for a minute to the larger uh, scene here in the Gospel of Matthew, and then we're going to gather around the communion table and sing a couple more songs as we close our gathering. Follow Jesus, live in the kingdom, and you will be misunderstood. You will face some rejection. For most of our marriage, Amy and I have chosen to live in underserved neighborhoods. This got started for us as a practice when we lived in Boston. This is right after we got married. Lived in a neighborhood called Dorchester. If you've ever seen the movie Gone Baby Gone, um, a lot of the scenes in that movie were right in our, our neighborhood where we were living at the time. And, and one of the experiences that we had as we were living there, and I cannot tell you how many times this happened, but it was a lot. People would ask, you know, hey, where do you live? And I would say, oh, we live in Dorchester. And then, you know, you get a look, maybe some pity, maybe some disgust. You get some questions like, what? Why? Like, why? You Like, on purpose? You chose, you chose to live there? And, you know, at the time I was younger and uh, maybe a little feistier or more angry or I don't know what. But, I, you know, why, why do you live there? Because of Jesus, obviously. <laughs> right? Because Jesus called me to love God and to be a good neighbor. Uh, but sometimes you will be misunderstood. Our interns, who we introduced to you just a few moments ago, right? Five people in the last year have taken basically a gap year to serve, to learn, to immerse themselves in our community in a sacrificial way. 
to give of themselves, but also to receive, right? As they discern God's call on their lives. It's a beautiful thing, but I know that they faced some questions. A church internship for like for a year? Wait, shouldn't you be applying to grad school or getting a job or moving on to the, like, what are you doing? Follow Jesus, live in the kingdom, and you will be misunderstood. One of my favorite stories from within our community is our good friend, Steve Kaltenbach. Steve is an artist. He's lived here in Davis for decades, been a good neighbor in this city to many, many people. And uh, Steve does not like to talk about himself, um, but he's kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal. In the modern art world, his work has been quite influential. Um, and hey, friends, he actually has a show right now here in downtown Davis. So if you get a chance uh, in the month of September, go check that out. Um, he would love it, and you will be inspired and find it to be very interesting, I believe. Anyway, check it out. Steve's kind of a big deal. And um, in the 1960s and 70s, though, he, uh, he met Jesus. He discovered the good news of Jesus and gave his life to be a, a follower, a disciple of the ways of Jesus. And as a result of that, he has sacrificed some fame, some opportunities, some credibility to, you know, in the, in the name of following Jesus. And if you ever get to talk to Steve, he would say that it is, he would do it a hundred times out of a hundred, it's totally worth it. But there is the reality that uh, being a Jesus follower in the modern art world is not an easy thing. And he's had to navigate some of these fears, some of this rejection in a very real way. Follow Jesus, live in the kingdom, and you will be misunderstood. Now, misunderstanding is only one aspect of this. And I recognize that, you know, People asking you questions about where you live in the grand scheme of things is maybe not the most difficult thing in the world. I had the opportunity to go to Rome this summer, and while we were there, we went to the Colosseum. And you know what, guys? I'm a I'm a nerd and a history buff, and and someone who studied the New Testament. And so it's just really interesting to be there. And the thing that I kept thinking about the whole time we were there is just like, man, a lot of people died here, right? Like a lot of people who in the very early stages of the story of the church, like gave their life right here through their commitment to follow Jesus. And, and there were probably a lot of people who thought, wow, that's dumb. This is foolish. Why would you, why would you submit yourself to this death? Uh, you know, just to, just to say that you're faithful to this Jesus. Follow Jesus, live in the kingdom, and you will face some fears. But again, within our fear is this invitation to love. If you scope back out in the story to Matthew 10, and then all the way to the end of Matthew chapter 11, some interesting things kind of bookend the scene that we are in today. Jesus in Matthew 10 sends out the disciples on their first short-term mission trip 
right? He tells them if you, you know, he tells them a lot of things, but if you walk through that, you see this repeated, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid four times, culminating in you are worth more than many sparrows. This invitation, love over fear, love over fear, love over fear, don't be afraid. Then chapter 11 ends with this, one of Jesus's great invitations. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11 28 to 30, the invitation to be a good neighbor. And I, this is so important for us as we begin this conversation. The invitation to be a good neighbor is not an invitation to work harder or to prove ourselves. It's not the Christian version of achieve uh, of achievement culture. It's also, again, not an invitation to turn off the fear switch and pretend to be courageous. It is an invitation to love. An invitation to be with Jesus, to trust, to rest in the one who loved us first. We love God with all we've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Not to prove anything, not to achieve a higher status, not to make God happy with us. It's all a response to who God is and what God has done for us, and it's actually an invitation to rest in the one who loved us first. First John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As a way to remember and ground ourselves in this truth, every Sunday we come to the table. We come to this moment called communion to remember this. Not that we loved God first, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as we come to the table this morning, what are your fears? We've spent a lot of time talking about misunderstanding and rejection. There may be a whole bunch of other things that come up for you. As you think about loving God with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself, there may be other fears attached to that. Those fears are an invitation not to become a super courageous Christian person, they're an invitation to receive and to give love. And so as you come to the table, name those fears. Hold the, the bread and the juice in your hands. The body and blood of Christ given for you. This reminder, physical, tangible reminder that we eat and consume every week. God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Heavenly Father, as we uh, begin this journey together, as we grow together individually and communally in, in wrestling with this question of what it means to be good neighbors, would it come from this place? Would this whole conversation come from this place of finding rest in you? not from, again, the energy of proving uh, our worth, achieving a spiritual status, uh, justifying ourselves, but it come from this deep confidence that you are with us 
that you invite us to fear not, that we are worth more than many sparrows, that you have done the work, right? That you loved us first and sent your son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. May we rest in that truth, receive your love, and then from that place, grow in our ability to be good neighbors. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.